lit our candle this morning, um, and we think about hope uh, waiting in the anticipation of God choosing um, to be among, among us, but not as we might expect, uh, with power and force to wipe out enemies, as, uh, as Isaiah was calling for, but he comes humbly and vulnerably as an infant to us. So as we think about hope, we think about where do we place our hope? We can place our hope in a lot of things, can't we? I know I do. <laughs> During this season and time of anticipation uh, and waiting and preparing for Christmas, there are lots of things that, um, that grab our attention and that we anchor our hope in. So think about that. What is that for you? So as we walk through these first couple readings today, uh, as I mentioned, they don't sound particularly hopeful, but we'll look a little more closely at them uh, and, and learn from them because they illustrate something for us. They show us a picture of people, God's people, at different points mm. in history uh, where they're waiting, where they're longing for God to show up and to do something, uh, to act again, to ease suffering, to bring peace. We look at our Isaiah passage where he says, oh God, would you tear open heaven and burst forth? It's like, rip it open and just come down, like already, right? Uh, they're longing, longing for him to come. Uh, they feel like God maybe has forgotten yeah. them, right? You sometimes feel like that. Um, they're looking for someone to blame as we go on into the, into the passage. Um, maybe blaming God for his absence, and that's why we're being sinful and not doing the things that you want us to do. How human is it, right, to want to, to have a reason for some of the choices that we make? In verses 3 and 4, um, they start to remember. Remember how powerful God was when he surprised them. They're referring back to the time of Moses, when Moses brought, um, brought the people out of Egypt. And God would part the Red Sea to allow them to cross safely and destroy the Egyptian army um, behind them. Um, they're longing for him to do. And they're, they're remembering. They're remembering God's power. And they admit to all the mistakes that they're making. And then in verse 8, they say, You are the potter, the clay, sculpt us. Reminding God, God, would you sculpt us into who, how, and what you want us to be, how you want us to live and to love in this world. And at the end, Isaiah pleads for God not to remain angry or to remember the sins, but look at us, we pray, see that we are your people. And then in the psalm, um, a few themes that walk through there. They say, hear us, remember, restore us, uh, bring us to you, make your face shine. And it points to Jesus at the end. Um, initially they say, um, give your, please listen, O shepherd of Israel. And they mention some names here, and he, they're remembering, uh, just like in the Isaiah passage, Isaiah was looking back to when God had moved during the time of Moses and brought people out of slavery in Egypt um, and, and would walk with them. At this point, they're looking back all the way to Joseph, uh, who descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, who was sold into prison um, by his brothers who were jealous of him, who for 10 years looked like he was lost uh, and forgotten, but he wasn't. Um, that God was providing for him all the time, and at just the right time, 
elevated him to a point where he could then save God's people when seven years of famine came as being the number two person then in Egypt. So they're remembering in this time, they're looking back and saying, okay, God, draw us back to you. Don't forget us. But as they're building their faith and starting to anchor their hope, they're looking back to remember God's power and his faithfulness to help them live forward and to hope forward. The sons' names, uh, the Manasseh and Ephraim, are Joseph's sons. Um, and I just want to mention their names, uh, what their names mean. Manasseh was, God made me forget all of my hardship. This was Joseph as he was naming his sons. Okay. And Ephraim was, God made me be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So even though he was walking through really difficult times in his life, um, in times there where he seemed alone and forgotten, um, God was still moving and he was fruitful and he would... Um, would restore, um, would restore so much, um, but that's another story for another another day. But the point is that they're looking back and they're remembering God's power and His faithfulness and the ways that He's moved in the past. And then you see in verse three and seven, and then again in nineteen, um, where they're saying, "Turn us again to Yourself, O God." Some versions say, "Restore us." They're just like longing for God to heal them. And he says, and goes on to say, make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. They're looking for God's, as we talk about God's face shining, his favor. Um, he is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Um, let your face shine down on us. You think about um, all that's happening in our world today, and you can relate. Like some of the things that we've walked through the past few years, things we've walked here recently in our community in the last couple months. Um, the people are walking through in lives that we don't even know about. Um, but we look to God for hope uh, in those times. As we move from verse 3 to 7 to 19, the psalmist moves closer and closer to God. If it, it's, it's kind of subtle if you look at it. But in the first verse, it says, turn us again to yourself, O God. And then in verse 7, he says, turn us, um, turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. And then in 19, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Just getting closer and closer, just proclaiming who God is in their lives and looking to them for hope and healing and movement where he's always moving. So our sermon passage gives us another look at God's people in hope um, from a different perspective. This is in the New Testament. It's a letter from Paul um, to the Corinthians, um, and it's um, 1 Corinthians 1, 3 to 9, and I'll go ahead and read it, and then we can walk through it. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you, for the gracious gifts he has given you, now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. With all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge, this confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly await for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, waiting for his return. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So Paul's writing to the churches in Corinth, and he has a number of issues that he wants to address with them. But he begins from a greeting where he offers blessings, and he anchors the message that he wants to share and some of the corrections that he's eventually going to offer as we move, if we would move further into this letter from a place of hope and faith in God, reminding them of who they are and who is with them. So he begins with those blessings and he gives thanks for them and reminds them of God's presence. So in verse 3, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. A grace is the reminder of his love and forgiveness. Freely given, not earned. We don't earn his grace. We're saved by grace through faith. It is his love that he came down from heaven and will come to us um, as an infant. Um, and it's his love and grace that brings peace to us. His peace, not as the world gives, not that we can try and manufacture on our own or find somewhere. Um, we can't, but boy, do we try. I know I do. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, I always thank my God for you, for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. So Paul's expressing his thanks to God for them as individuals and for the many ways that God has gifted them and provided for them, as he does for all of us, for all who love him, he, he gives us his gifts. And one of the issues that Paul was wanting to address with them that was starting to divide the people in the church was their focus on gifts and competitiveness, mm -hmm. and they were losing sight of, um, of the purpose of the gifts and what he was calling them to do, and were more focused on who's better, who's who's what, who's this, who's that. Um, so he's wanting to address that. So he's, he's tried, what he's doing here is he's trying to shift their perspective. Remember where these gifts came from um, and then what he would like for you to do. So he expresses his thanks to God for the, them as individuals, for the gifts that he gets, and then he reminds them of the source of those gifts and the purpose. And then through him, in verse 5, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words, all of your knowledge. And next, he goes broadly to the church and how those gifts um, enrich the church and how he blesses the church and the people of the church through those gifts and through them. So he affirms their gifts, the words, the knowledge, and he connects them with the work of the church as he redirects. This confirms in verse 6, what I told you about Christ is true. Look back as they did in the Old Testament passages that we read earlier. Look back and trust forward. We look back to remember, to see in our own lives. We look back into the Bible and to see times that God moved and times that didn't seem possible, that he created um, new things out of what were seemingly impossible situations. Amen. Um, they're running from, <laughs> running from Pharaoh's army, and the army's chasing them, they're standing in front of the Red Sea, right? <laughs> what does God do? He opens it up. It's like, what? <laughs> um, he surprised them, but he does. And so, um, so we can look back to remember God's faithfulness, to remember his power and his moves. When we get to those roadblocks in our lives, where we're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, um, or I don't know what I want to do, or I don't know what I should do. Mm -hmm. or I don't want to do anything. <laughs> Whatever those things are, but we can look to him for guidance, and he gives it. Amen. He's always there, always there. 
Uh, so goes on to say, now you have every spiritual gift. He's continuing to repeat this, just in a layer. Verse 7. And now you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he makes an observation there, and that's a promise. He gives you everything that you need. He gives us everything that we need. Not everything that we want. <laughs> Not everything that we'd like that someone else, like, oh, I like the way they do that, or what... But he gives us everything that we need. So it's an observation, it's a promise um, that we have what we need, that they have what they need, provided by God to keep going. Don't get distracted. Don't get derailed. Don't get into the infighting. We know it's human nature to oh, compete, yeah. right? <laughs> um, or to feel offended and allow that to then distract us from the purpose at hand. I almost did that this morning. <laughs> um, verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end. This is so good. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Jesus is coming back. He told us when he left. He's coming back. Um, but there is so much in this one little verse. So what does Paul say that God and Jesus will do? He's going to keep you strong, right? Yeah. Strong, he strengthens us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Um, we can try to manufacture all day long, but if we can stop uh, and look to him for strength, his power is made perfect in our weakness if we'll stop striving. If anybody's ever done any um, water rescue or training as a lifeguard, you think about um, the person who's struggling in water and they're flailing and flailing and fighting, um, which can be really dangerous. And what they need is to Stop Steady. so that the lifeguard can pull them to safety. Um, when we are flailing and striving and trying to manufacture, make things happen, we miss mm -hmm. what he is trying to do in our lives, sometimes through the people around us, if we'll let them, if we'll let him and them. Um, we can kind of be like that with God. So for how long do they say, does he say? He says to the end. <laughs> so that. So why? So that you will be free, free from blame when Jesus comes back. Jesus' grace, his sacrifice, his love for us, his coming to the earth, his dying on the cross and sacrificing his life so that we could know him, so that we could come before God holy and blameless and blameless. And not Amen. only did he sacrifice and die for us, but he overcame that death. Amen. He rose from the dead and then he spent time, 40 days, walking among his people before yeah. he ascended to heaven, yeah, just continuing to refine, to restore. Like, you think about Peter, um, the, night, the night that Jesus was betrayed and taken away, Peter denied knowing him three times. Mm -hmm. And he was grieved when he realized he'd done it. He's like, God, I'll never deny you. Jesus, I'll never deny you. Um, I'll die for you. And then, I don't know him. I don't know him. Nope, not me. Not me. It's what he did. But in that time that Jesus was back after he'd risen from the dead, before he ascended to heaven, he walked among his people. And there was this beautiful morning on the beach where he's cooking fish over a fire with Peter. And he's like, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, of course I do. Um, you know I love you. Um, he's like, feed my sheep. And he goes on. And then he asked him through, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, of course I love you. Like, I just told you that I love you. And you know that I love you. But three times he would do that. He would restore him, and Peter would be able to let go of that guilt mm. and the shame 
for having denied Jesus. And Peter would be the one at Pentecost that would preach, and 3,000 would come to believe that day, um, and go on to to teach and to move all through to bring the good news of Jesus. Amen. Uh, So he does that. He does that. So how often do we look to God for strength, for hope, for peace? In verse 9, he goes on to say that God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God will do it. That is a promise. That is a promise in scripture. And the Bible talks a lot about God's promises and the covenants that he made. But if we go into Hebrews chapter 6, I didn't put it on the screen, so I'll read it to you. Uh, We'll just look at verses 18 and 19. So listen. Um, The author is saying, So God has given both his promise and his oath. God has promised and given an oath. These two things are unchangeable. Unchangeable, because it's impossible for God to lie. Amen. Okay? So God's promises are real. They're for us. And then he goes on to say, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge or looked to him for help can have a great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. Hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. The hope, the hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls that leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary where we can come in the presence of God, as we are. So listen to those words that describe the hope. This version I'm reading out of NLT uses strong and trustworthy. Other versions use firm and secure, sure and steadfast, anchored for our souls. What are we anchoring ourselves in? It's not fleeting, it's not wavering, it's sure and steadfast. You think about a boat on the water and the waves and the wind can come and toss to and fro. But when it's securely anchored, it stays put. The currents don't carry it, uh, don't carry it away. But sometimes life can do that to us, right? Sometimes life brings us things that that throw us um, off course or set us off balance. Sometimes they're things that we can anticipate, normal transitions of life. We moved here in August of 2020 during the pandemic shutdowns. So we knew that that was going to be a big transition. Um, Did it make it? Easier? No. <laughs> but what we knew, and we had a love of family here, and, and we walked through that. So those are things, I mean, think about moving, um, moving through different transitions, so from middle school to high school, graduating high school, getting ready to go to college, thinking about um, all those decisions, right? Changing jobs, um, relationships, priorities, where we're going on vacation, all of those things like, do, cause transitions in our lives can sometimes throw us a bit, but those are things that we can predict. But sometimes things catch us by surprise, an illness or a diagnosis, an accident or an injury, an abrupt end to a sports season, the Lewiston tragedy a little over a month ago, literal storms that come and wipe out communities, neighborhoods, fires, wildfires, Miami, not Miami, um, Maui, Canada, um, California, those things happen um, through completely upended families and lives. I shared a couple weeks ago about my slip on the ice a couple years ago. 
that really shifted things for a while for us. And I'm grateful for the healing um, for that. But those things happen in our lives. And if we anchor our hope in our circumstances, it's going to be really hard. So as we continue on Paul's letter, this last verse, this is so good. It talks about he invites us into partnership with Jesus. He's invited you into partnership with Jesus. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come into relationship. He gives us free will. He doesn't make us right. do it. That's he wants cool. relationship with all of us. He loves every person. God so loved the world, as on our sign out front, that he gave his son. Mm -hmm. Now the verse that does it all, that, so that we may have eternal life, right? For those who believe in him, um, the verse in 17 that follows that is often not um, not always not always connected with it, um, but it goes but it goes on to say that for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Yeah, it's my favorite. The whole thing. For, I know it's so good. How often are we waiting for God to reject us, yeah. or to be disappointed with us? Or condemn us. Jesus came so that we would have life. Amen. So that we can have peace and we can anchor our hope in Him mm -hmm. and trust Him. Amen. So we walked through Romans this summer, um, reminding us that our, that grace is freely given, as we've talked about. Grace is freely given by God. We don't earn it. Um, that we're adopted as His sons and daughters. Amen. Um, reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We spent three weeks in Romans 8. Um, and then Romans 10, that we just say with our mouth that he's Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead. And we're saved. Amen. It was the first verse I ever read out loud in church in Minnesota back in, I don't know what year it was, 2001 maybe. Um, but it's that, it doesn't have to be complicated. No. No. We don't have to live this perfect life. Um, or to do all of these things, we can get so focused on the things that we have done wrong or that have been done to us or that we missed or haven't done um, that we just kind of disappear or, or draw away. But he said, but the Bible says, when you draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He wants us close to him. That He's invited us into partnership with Jesus, right. his son, our Lord. So this week... Um, as I was driving here, so we in the Psalm 80, the psalmist was talking repeatedly, let your face shine, let your face shine down on us, let your face shine down on us. Uh, even the prayers of intercession had that as part of it today. Um, that they might be saved, restored, that he could bring calm and wisdom and perspective. So as I was driving here on Tuesday morning, I was reflecting on that Psalm's passage about the face shining, um, and it just had me start to think, and usually at the end of service, um, many weeks anyway, we'll, I'll do the blessing, Lord, make your face shine upon mm -hmm. us. Um, and so I was reflecting on that in the car, and I just started to get teary in the car driving here. I'm like, oh God, what's, what's that about? Um, and I started thinking about Psalm 27, where, Psalm, where King David begins, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear? He's the light, he's our light. In verse eight, he prays, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. 
just as Isaiah was saying in this passage, don't hide your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O Lord, you who have been my help. He makes us his light in our world. He gives us his light, his love. And as I was reflecting on that, uh, I was thinking, oh, I've shared, some of you heard, heard this next story. I'm like, oh, I've shared that before. I don't think I'll share it. There would be three additional times during the day on Tuesday that God would bring in an email, in an old devotional book that I happened to pick up and turn to that day. Yeah. Um, I'm like, okay, we're sharing it. <laughs> so some of, you, some of you have heard this story, but as I was a second grader preparing to make my first communion, a bunch of us were debating about what Jesus looked like, and I, of course, confidently knew because I had seen his pictures in our Bible and on the little things in church. I'm like, no, he has brown hair and he has a beard. Um, and our teacher <laughs> kindly corrected me and said, well, no, we, nobody really knows what Jesus looks like. Um, those are people's interpretations, or um, they've created those. Um, so nobody really knows, but sometimes... Jesus will show himself to people in their lives. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I grabbed onto this little wooden pew in front of me, and I just quietly to myself, I wouldn't have done this out loud, would have known, um, just prayed with all of my might that, oh, Jesus, would you show me your face oh one day? And I just wanted it so much. 40 years later, yeah, that's awesome. he would do that. Not how I imagined, you know, he didn't peek around the corner and say, here's what I look like. <laughs> um, because that's what my second grade self could understand. So he honored this prayer that I prayed with all my might that I didn't really understand at the time, but at just the right time. Yeah, that I needed it, you know? Um, that would be the revelation that would bring me peace, that would restore hope to me in a time where my hope was wavering and he would heal and redirected my path. And when that happened, I remembered that prayer. So it's not like I walked around 40 years, Jesus, are you gonna, like, I didn't think about it for a long time. But I remember how much I wanted that, and I just, I can still feel the pew in my hands. Um, but my heart knew when I saw him, I didn't see his physical face, but I saw his presence and realized he is has been with me every step of my whole life. And the same is true for all of us. Amen. He is. So. How wonderful. Really sweet. So I, again, tried to say, we're not, no, I don't think we'll do that this week. Three more times. I'm like, okay, we're doing it. Um, because it just, it's so, um, it's so beautiful. Just the thought of seeking his face. Because seeking his face sometimes means looking at his word. Sometimes it's a worship song. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's remembering something that we've read in scripture where he's been faithful and provided in amazing ways. Um, but we just continue to listen. And I have learned over the last 10 years as I've learned to walk with Jesus in a different way that when he brings me things, especially from really random places, <laughs> I really need to pay attention. So twice yesterday, the proverb um, guard your heart, for from it flows all the all the things of life. So I'm like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> guard my heart. Would I? So I'll be paying attention to that this week. But yeah. learning to to listen to him. So what what do we do with all of this? What do we do? <laughs> um, from the Isaiah passage of Psalms, Paul's letter, Hebrews, just say, find your anchor. What are you anchoring your hope in? 
I've anchored myself in a lot of things. And I was um, anchored in myself, doubling down, burning myself out, along with everybody else that I was trying to control around me. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly my family. <laughs> um, but pay attention. Think about that. Ask him. We're not even always aware. I wasn't aware. I was blissfully unaware. I thought I was, got pretty good at being self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, pay attention. Pay attention. He's near, providing and guiding what we notice. So in Genesis, when God first speaks to Moses and tells him, I want you to bring my people out of Egypt, and you're going to get them from Pharaoh, and we're going to take them to the promised land. He's like, what? Um, but when that happened, um, he appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Some of you may, have, may know that story. Um, Moses saw this bush that was on fire, but the bush wasn't burning. So it was still intact, but there was just fire. And he walked over to see it. And that is when God spoke to him. God didn't speak to him as he's running along in the fire. He's like, yo, Moses, come on over here. <laughs> That's not what he did. It, Moses noticed and then walked over. And it's when he walked over that God began to speak with him. And he said, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And then he talked to him about what he was going to do. There's a poet who lived in the 1800s, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Um, just this stanza of one long writing that she had that she had done. But I think it's such a good picture because for so much of my life I was unaware. Um, and I can now see and listen all the, so much more now. But her, this poem, this part of it says... Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries, dabbing their faces. So it's like we miss it. We can, for many years, um, he doesn't want us to miss it. Mm-hmm. He wants us to notice him. So pay attention. He's near and he's providing and he's guiding. Seek his face, his loving, compassionate face that delights in you. He does. Shines on you. He says, seek my face. And I finally did. <laughs> um, despite the fact that hope was wavering. And then remember his promises. He is faithful. He keeps his promises. In these times that can seem anything but sure. Um, all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East, things that are happening in our lives, um, things that are happening in Ukraine and Syria. Like, it doesn't. You don't have to. You don't even have to look far. We know in Lewiston and Auburn and um, Lisbeth, like still this whole area still impacted. Um, we also find ourselves in the bustle of Christmas and all the preparations and the planning. But remember that as we're watching, we're watching and we're waiting. <coughs> As we walk through this season, try to be looking for him, to be seeking his face, to not let the stresses of the holiday season and everything else, or just the bad things that are happening, or the good things that are happening that we're celebrating, to weigh us down. We're watching for Jesus to come back, looking for his face. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen. And he will give us joy, not in our circumstances, because um, they don't necessarily always change in our expectations of others, but in him. We have gratitude for the ways that he provides every day. We can find peace that comes, again, not from our circumstances, but from him. That he can give us peace, because he is walking with us Amen. through everything that we do.
um, we can see him. We can listen for him. Not as a booming voice. Not always as a fire in a bush. <laughs> not usually a fire in a bush, at least not in my experience. Um, but wait. As we wait for him, we hope. We hold to the hope that we have in him because he comes to us at Christmas time. Not in a big, powerful chariot coming out of the sky, but his tiny little baby. Vulnerable, um, humble, born in a manger, right? Yeah. So it's a season where we're invited to tune into God, to renew our hope in him, to help him restore our hope in us as we wait for him to come back and we wait for him to act in the moments of our life and know that what we hope for shapes what we live for. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are holy and you are good and you are present and you are always moving. God, we thank you for loving us more than we can think or imagine. We thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you that we can anchor um, our hope in you. We can anchor ourselves in the hope in the promises that you give. Lord, as we seek your face, as we go about our days, um, would your face shine upon us? Um, would your light fill us? We know that you are the light of the world. Um, help us to be that light to others. Help us to bring hope to people that we encounter. Help us to bring peace in places where people feel a lot of unpeace. Lord, help us to trust you that you are moving as we face decisions or surprises or whatever it is that we face, Lord. Uh, we know that you are with us. We know that you are true. And we thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.